the beautiful thing and the beautiful hope that we have here today is that the church of Jesus Christ has been the home of the misfit for over 2,000 years. And we've been taking a look at some of the moments that have, uh, that have categorized or have, have built the church up. And we've been looking at these moments through the life of a man whose name was Simon Peter. And, and Simon Peter, I, I love this guy. He's always the first guy to speak up. He usually gets it wrong when he does. But there are these brilliant moments that he has where he gets it right. And we've been looking at some of these moments in in his life because if there's ever a guy to be classified as a misfit throughout scripture, this is the guy to call a misfit. But we see that God does some beautiful things through his life as he finds his fit in Jesus first. When we started out, we saw the, the very beginning of, uh, of, his, of his experience and his interaction with Jesus. There is this moment where Jesus comes to him, gets in his boat, and asks him to follow after himself. Now, following that, that experience, Jesus, knowing that this guy is, is he's completely ill-equipped for the task, He's, he's, he's completely ill-equipped to, to follow him. He's too old. Uh, he's too old to do something new with his life. He's too young to be influential. He was established in his career. But Jesus, knowing all of these things, says, hey, I know you, and I want to give you a better way if you just follow me. And that's the same invitation that he gives to you and I. That, uh, that even in our place where we feel like, the, like we are the most misfit of a person, uh, that, that Jesus wants to step into the, to our situation and calls us to follow him, but he always calls us to leave a different way than when he finds us. After that, we looked at uh, this moment where Jesus' public ministry, it's, it's starting to take off and there are miracles that are happening and, and people are being fed and wondrous signs are happening and the people love it. They want more and more of the Jesus experience. They wanted to control Jesus. They wanted to know what's next. What's he gonna do this time? How is he gonna blow our mind this time? But Jesus, fully aware, fully aware of what's going on, he, he wouldn't be controlled. But much like the crowds, we have this history. We have this history of bringing our house rules to the table. They're things that we've created. Maybe they're, maybe they're good-intentioned things that we bring to the table of church and we bring to the table of our relationships and we even bring them to Jesus and say, hey, you have to fit in to my house rules I used the illustration a couple of weeks ago. It's like the game of Uno. Anybody ever play the same game of Uno twice? No, because everybody plays the game with their own set of rules. And so these are like house rules. And so these are the things that, that we bring to the table and, and we, like, we like our house rules. But we bring those things to the table with the, with the intention of controlling the experience rather than finding out what it is that God himself would call us to in the midst of our experiences. And remember the words that Peter said, that Simon Peter said to Jesus when Jesus asked, do you want to leave too? Do you want to be done with this? Simon Peter's proclamation was, Jesus, where would we go? Only you have words of eternal life. And if, and if this is true, if this is true, then it's his rules and it's his way. 
Well, if you've been tracking along with us for the last couple of weeks, you know, we've, we started out by saying that, that you know, we're going to find where in the end of the series, the, the end game or the end goal with the series is to find the place where you fit and where I fit within this thing that he calls the church. And, and if you've been tracking along with us, you're probably wondering, what does any of that have to do with where I find my fit? And I'm glad that you asked. And if you didn't ask, I'm going to ask for you. And I'm going to respond and say, excellent. We're going to get there eventually. But we have to lay some of these groundworks uh, before we get to that because they're the things that give us good perspective. If you have missed out in the last couple of weeks of this, I would really encourage you. Go online to ecwesleyan.net. There's a little tab that says listen online. Click that. You'll be able to find our We Fit messages on there. And if you want extra bonus credit because some of you guys are like cool in school for that, uh, go to, to ecwesleyan.net slash wefit, and there are actually questions and discussion guides that are on there for you to have with your family or get together with a group of friends. Here's the deal, guys. I want you to engage in this so that you find your fit within the church, and I promise you that you will get out of this what you put into it. So before we launch into where we're going to be this morning, before we, uh, we look at what Jesus has called us into, we first have to look at box art. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this moment that we have here together. It's a short period of time, and, and Jesus, only you are the one that has words of eternal life. And so God, I ask that you take my words the things that I, I'm about to speak, God, would you, uh, would you use them in a powerful way, not because it's me saying them, but simply because I'm talking about you and talking about your word. God, would you, would you set aside this time with us as one that we can look, look to as a milestone moment in our life and our relationship with you? We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How many of you have ever put together a puzzle? A, a good number of you have put together puzzles in your life. How about, have you built something with a set of instructions? Have you built anything with a set of instructions? How about watch a YouTube video on how to do something? I love that. Like, what did we do before the internet, right? Like, we actually have to seek people out that have wisdom with these things. Or, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, with, uh, with, with those things, with instructions, if you've never built anything before, if you've never built anything before, uh, you needed that set of instructions. It, it shows you the, the tools that you need. It shows you the, the, the pieces that you need and how you put those things all, all together. Otherwise, I mean, we could get really, really creative with stuff and we might create something with it, but otherwise we have like a, a pile of materials we have a couple of boards and some bolts and some screws and some washers and some little doomy jangers. I don't even know what they're called. I made up my, my own name for them though. You know, these little doomy jangers that they go somewhere in there. We don't know, but then we have instructions that tell us how to put these things together and the right order in which we put things together in. Like a puzzle. Have you ever tried to put together a puzzle that uh, you haven't had the right picture or you've, you've had a couple of people, you, you've, you've tried to put together a puzzle without, without knowing what the picture is. It's really, really challenging to do that because the box art, whether it's something that you're building, whether it's a puzzle or a piece of furniture or whatever it is, the box art 
tells you what the end result is supposed to look like, right? And the instructions or the picture gives you the goal of what you're aiming for and gives you sometimes the step-by-step of how to build with a puzzle. We, where's the first place we start with puzzle pieces? We find the border, right? We try to find the edge pieces. We try to find the corner pieces because we know that there are fewer of those than the things that they're going to be in the center. Well, for the sake of continuity in this, in order for us to understand where we find our fit, we have to understand the picture first. We've got to look at the box art. And, and so to get that picture, we're going to be looking at, the, over the next couple of weeks, the four operating parameters. For the sake of continuity, we're going to look at the four borders that are the church. Now, I've got to tell you something. These four boundaries are so important that everything that we do has to. It is, it is it, we can't do anything outside of those boundaries. Anything outside of that, I mean, and I'm usually the type of guy, I like coloring outside of the boundaries. You give me a coloring book, I will create a brand new picture than, than what's in the coloring book. This isn't that type of thing here. We have operating orders. We have operating parameters and we have to, if we're going to be the church, we have to stay within those boundaries. And since we've already established that it is Jesus who has words of eternal life, these four boundaries that we're gonna be looking at are actually commands that Jesus gave while he was walking on this earth. And, and in, this, in these commands, he also gives us an invitation. He gives us an invitation to join something that is so outrageously different than what we see in our world. This is actually one thing in our world that will not change. The thing that God has called us to as the church, it doesn't change. The way that we achieve that might, but it doesn't change. So I would suggest to you this morning, I would suggest to you this morning that, that, that there, there are four boundaries, there are four borders, and that God dictates those borders and those boundaries. He's the one that calls the shots on those things. And we're gonna flesh this out. We're gonna, we're gonna take a couple of weeks to flesh this out because, and I promise you, I promise you, I promise you that as we begin to understand these things, we are gonna get a better picture. And, and for some of you, it might be a really freeing picture of what the church is supposed to look like and what it means to live a Christian life. We're gonna dive into this together and we're gonna start in Matthew chapter 16. So if you, would, uh, if you would turn with me there, if you've got a, your Bible with you this morning, Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 13 here. Um, in, in Matthew 16 as well as, you're gonna see something that's actually really similar to the place that we were two weeks ago. Uh, there's a statement that's, uh, that's made by Simon Peter. There's this declaration that's there, this incredible declaration that he makes that, that's echoed here as well as it was in John chapter six. And it's so incredible that it changes everything. It changes the entire perspective of the disciples and it even changes Simon's name. So let's go here together. John, or Matthew chapter 16. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist Others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. 
But what about you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? Enter Simon Peter, first to speak up. Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. This is like the, one of the times that he actually speaks a first and he gets it right. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. There are some translations that, that say that the gates of hell will not overpower the church. And so here we have the, the question that is finally answered. This is the question that everything else hinges on. Who is Jesus the entirety of his teaching is dependent on the way this question is answered. Because if he's simply a good teacher, actually C.S. Lewis, uh, he, he, said, he said we shouldn't make the mistake of simply saying that God is just a good teacher because a good teacher doesn't say the things that Jesus would say or make the claims that Jesus makes. He's either a madman that's, that's no more sane than, than the man who thinks he, he's a poached egg or he's a liar from the pit of hell or he's got to be Lord. You can't have it both ways. He's either a liar, a lunatic, or he's Lord. And here in this moment, Jesus asks the question of his closest friends, who do you say that I am? And here's Simon Peter, good old foot in the mouth, Simon Peter, and he finally gets it right. He says, Jesus, you are the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the deliverer. You're the one that we've been waiting for for generations. You're the one that we've been waiting for. You are the son of the living God. And this, this is a huge deal. This is a huge deal. The entirety of Jesus' preaching hinges on how this is answered. And while he never denied his true, his true lineage, he didn't showboat. He wasn't a show-off. But in this moment, Jesus, he answers directly to the affirmative that yes, yes, Simon Peter, you got it. He is the son of God. And in this moment, without fear, he makes this proclamation Jesus is Lord. And this, this statement, it was such a big deal because in this day and age that all of this is taking place, when you answer a question like this, you better either be right or you're dead. Because blasphemy, not really something that's tolerated. And he takes this leap and he's right. And Jesus he confirms Simon's assumptions. And Jesus, the only one who can speak our true name, gives Simon his new name. Petros in the Greek, or Cephas in the Aramaic, Peter in the English. And Jesus continues his mastery over the moment, not only in the name that he gives, Petros, 
meaning rock, solid, firm. But he continues speaking and says that on the rock or the foundation of this proclamation that he would build his church and the gates of hell will not stand. They will not be able to stand against it. Jesus not only uses the name that he gave to Simon, but he also uses the proper word to talk about how he's gonna establish his church. It's gonna be rock solid. And Peter's over in the corner saying, like a rock. Not, not really. I would, have been, I would have been the guy to do that that day. But Jesus says, on this foundation, my bride... My warrior bride will stand and she will stand firm because she knows who her bridegroom is. So how do we get from here? How do we get from the statement to our border? There's not really a command in here, is there? I did say that there, was, there were commands of Jesus, right? Got to be consistent, if nothing else. Well, in order to fully appreciate what's going on here, you actually have to skip a couple of chapters in Matthew and go to Matthew chapter 22. And here is, is a place where Jesus gives us the, the borders of this puzzle that we fit into and it's, it's the top and the bottom, it's the ceiling and the foundation. These two things to a direct question about the greatest commandment. They, Jesus had people that were always, trying to they were always trying to trip him up. They were always trying to catch him in a trap to say something that was out of line or out of place. And Jesus is brilliant. And he was asked, what is the greatest command from God? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind, this is the first and the greatest commandment and the second is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Everything hinges on these two things, everything. The entire scope of everything that the, the, the Jewish people followed up until this point, the, the words of prophets that came before them, the laws that they lived according to, all of the law and the prophets are summed up in these two things. Love God, love people. Next week, we're gonna talk about love people because we have to unpack this first question, which is if we are commanded to love God, what does it mean to love God? Now I could, you know, we could, you know, say, oh yeah, I love, I love God, that's, that's great. Um, talk is cheap though. Talk is really, really cheap. There's a, there's a deeper question that we have to ask in order to be able to answer that question. And that's the question, who is God? If, if you're in church here this morning, I, I imagine that you have some concept of, of who God is. I'm just gonna make a, a stretch here and I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a stab at this and say that you have, if you're here this morning, you have some inkling, whether it's, you know, you, you know, you went to Sunday school when you were a kid or you, know, you heard somebody talk about God or somebody stubbed their toe and said his name or something like that. You, you've heard his name before. You know, you know a little bit of something. 
uh, about him. There is a little bit of a problem with familiarity, though. We can sometimes lose out in fully appreciating who God is by being flippant with him. Let me also say this too, if, if, you, if you're here this morning and, and you don't have a concept of who God is, it's my privilege, and this is way above me, this is something that is way, way above me, but it's my privilege this morning. I want to introduce you to someone who I have no business speaking about. I want to introduce you to somebody who it is my privilege to stand up here and share about here today. Out of his creative genius, he spoke and there was light. He commanded time and reality as we know it into existence and he breathed. Yes, he breathed and there was life and he called it very good. He set into motion the laws of nature that would govern this new order with, his, with the greatest precision fathomable. Did you know that this ball of dirt that we are hurling through space on is traveling at just the right speed and just the right distance from the star that he saw fit to place us near to sustain the life that he breathed into any faster and we would be hurled about any, any further away and we would free any closer and we would burn. He created this order, yet he, it bends to his will. He rebukes storms, he commands seas, he dictates light and darkness, he walks on surfaces on which he should sink, and he rises through air which cannot be grasped. At his word, sickness leaves, demons flee, and even death itself, which waits for no man, steps aside to let him through. His power is more than political. His influence far exceeds the regional. His justice is so unspeakably good that even the blind can see his mercies. His word topples nations. Not a king or queen, not an emperor or president has any authority that could even come close to matching his. They only know, they only know of power because they have seen it in him and they have been granted it from above. At his voice, mountains split asunder, thunder roars, lightning peals across skies that he forms. His voice is unraveling. It reveals the strongest's weaknesses, the purest's impurity, and the wisest's foolishness. After all, how can you gaze into the face of the one who defines strength and purity and wisdom and not see your own disparity and fear him? Friends, I am overwhelmed to think of who he is because his beauty is matchless. His power is unmeasurable. His wisdom unfathomable. His way is unknowable and yet he still wants to be known by the breath that came from him. 
You and I are on borrowed time and on borrowed breath and it comes directly from the one who breathes it and speaks it and ordained it this very day. We were not promised yesterday, yet here we stand. And isn't it a little arrogant to think that we're gonna have it tomorrow because we're good? (laughs) Who is he? Who is he? this God, to a man named Moses in fires that consume, but only at his command, he introduces himself as I am, before all else, I am, before stars burst with light and life, I am, before oceans were carved, before mountains were raised, before the first musical note was heard, I am, and it was enough. To a woman named Rahab who lived in the fear of the approaching tide of his power, he revealed himself as her gracious deliverer. To a man named Job who lost health, family, and prosperity, he revealed himself as the supplier of every need. To a woman named Hannah whose cultural value was measured in her inability to procreate, he revealed himself as comforter. And to a man named Simon Peter, whose identity was found in his work and in how he could contribute to his community, he revealed himself as Jesus Christ, as the the only one who is the speaker of the words of eternal life, the son of the living God. I wish I could describe him to you. He's indescribable. I could stand here all day and tell you about how awesome he is. He is beautiful and he is wonderful and he is terrifying. If you look at any account throughout scripture, anyone who has ever come face to face, anyone who has gotten a grasp of his glory, there is this response of humility and and go, oh God, I'm not worthy. We saw this a couple of weeks ago with Simon Peter in the boat. And he sees what Jesus can do and he hears the authority that Jesus speaks with and he says, God, Jesus, I'm ruined. I'm a sinful man. I'm just gonna throw myself overboard here because I don't even deserve to be in the same boat with you let alone walk the same soil. When you get that kind of glimpse, there is no other appropriate response than fear. Proverbs 9.10 tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One brings understanding. Yet, in that moment, in this moment, where we realize before a holy God who is matchless and we are unraveled and undone and we have no excuse and we have, we have no defense in front of his justice. It's in that moment that he steps in and says, fear not, don't be afraid, I'm here. This command from Matthew 22 to love God is to love God, but in order to fully love him, you gotta know him. And I gotta tell you, the more you get to know him, the more you love him. The thought that this person that I just described knows me better than I know myself and wants to be in relationship with me 
I don't get it. I don't understand it. But boy, howdy, I'm excited about it. I'm so excited that Jesus stepped into his creation that Jesus himself, God in the body, he steps into his creation and, and, and he, he shows us, he reminds us that he's not distant. He didn't just speak all this and just walk away. He's involved and he's near and he steps in to, to, our, to our world, his world actually, he steps into his world to show us that, that he is not afraid of our mess and that he would, he would show and he would pay the ultimate price, the ultimate cost for your sin and for mine. He would take on our greatest enemy, death. Yes, death. And he would defeat it. And as we recognize the power and the authority of the Son, we get to know the Father. And when we recognize that everything that is good and perfect and sustaining in this world is from Him, and that we are desperately lost in our sin without Him, all of a sudden, all of that fear melts away because guess what? We couldn't do anything to fix it if we tried. And Jesus steps into our mess and says, hey, you know what? I'm not afraid of that. I'm not gonna look the other way from that. I'm gonna take it head on and I wanna take you a better way away from this place than the place that got you here. He's not afraid. And in that, all of our fears melt away. Do we still acknowledge his greatness? Absolutely. There are still moments and I have to confess to you, they've, they've been fewer than I, I wish. Where God has reminded me of how strong he is. I had to apologize to Bailey this morning because there was this moment uh, where I thought the alarm actually went off earlier than it was supposed to. Um, went off early, I thought. God woke me up this morning to remind me how incredible he is. There's this moment in the book of Job. I, I really encourage you to read the end of the book of Job. Because in this whole book, like Job is questioning God and he's, he's like questioning why these bad things are happening to him. And God steps into the scene. He says, all right, brace yourself like a man. I'm gonna give you the answer here, but I'm gonna ask you some questions first. There are moments like that where God has said, brace yourself like a man. I'm going to show you who I am. And maybe, maybe we've forgotten, maybe we've diminished who he is and what he's capable of doing within the spectrum or the, the scope of the things that we understand. But friends, this here is just the beginning. When we start when we start understanding who God is and loving him for who he is, everything that we do has to, as a people who are following after him, it has to fall in line first with understanding who God is and who he's called us to be and love for him first. It is the foundation 
of the church. It is the foundation that we stand on to make sure that this will not be shaken by hell itself. It will try. It will fail. I've read the end of the book, spoilers. It will fail and Jesus will overcome. So this is where we start to find our fit as the church, understanding who God is, knowing Him, fearing Him, following His commands, ultimately falling madly in love with who He is. Would you stand with me and pray as I invite the worship team up? God, you are the box artist. You are the one who's, who sets the picture. You have given us a glimpse of who you are. That impacts everything else. Everything that we build on from here has to be built on that understanding of who you are. And so God, this morning as, uh, as we take some time with a little more worship through song, maybe for some of us this morning we need to take some time, maybe it's kneeling at a, a pew, maybe it's coming to an altar and praying together with friends. Maybe we haven't quite acknowledged who you are. Maybe we've just been satisfied with Jesus' light but we haven't really taken the time to, to think about your majesty and your wonder and your power. Maybe we, haven't, maybe we haven't feared you. But God, I, I, pray that, I pray that we would learn who you are. Not that that fear would drive us away from you, but it would drive us to you. God, you, you have such a great depth of love for us. So God, would we met, be met by you this morning? We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.